Pastor Ed Taylor on what the law can and cannot do for you. You see, the law can only reveal. It doesn't regenerate. The law doesn't bring life. The law brings death. And as the law reveals, it reveals, well, the law points us to the Savior, Jesus Christ. The law is holy. The law is just. The law is good. And the law points us to the Savior, Jesus Christ. This is amazing grace. From Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado, this is Abounding Grace. Glad you could make it. After taking some time off from Romans in order to bring you a special series, Into Faith We Go, we're now back in Romans. You may recall we left off in chapter 7 at verse 7. This section really gets to the purpose of the law of God. Many today misunderstand what it's intended to do, thinking they need to live by it in order to be saved. So we need to pause to really consider why it's there for us. Pastor Ed Taylor has noticed four purposes. Not only does the law define for us what sin is, but number two, get this, the law reveals that we're sinners. <laughs> we don't like that. So, oh yeah, sin for them. Yes, there are sinners in the world. There are people that commit sin. But did you know that the law reveals us, that we're sinners? Back to Romans chapter 7. Paul says, in verse 7, on the contrary, I would have not even known sin, right? Because sin is revealed by the law. He says, I wouldn't even known sin unless it said, you shall not covet. And then verse 8, but sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. It not only reveals what sin is, but the law also reveals that we are sinners. And you might be here today and you go, are you serious, pastor boy? I'm a sinner? Yes. I'm serious. Yes, we're all sinners. We all commit sin. We have sin in our lives. And it's so contrary, isn't it, to what man likes to do with sin? What does man like to do with sin? First of all, man likes to rename sin. I had a whole list of them. I'm not going to share them with you today. But they, they just try to change. It's, it's, it's all sorts of categories to not allow the Bible just to use the words that it uses. You know, call pride, pride. Call adultery, adultery. Call stealing, stealing. Call lying, lying. That's what the Bible does. Now, we might try to sidestep that and say, oh, no, it was this, and soften the blow. But, but let the Bible speak for itself. The law reveals that we are sinners because man likes to hide his sin. Another thing we're really good at is excusing our sin. Say, even as believers, we can be very good at having an excuse for every time someone comes and says such and such in our lives. Do you know that if someone in your life comes to you and shares with you something difficult, do you know that they love you? That it's out of love. Do you know how hard it is to tell someone that there's sin in their life, it can be one of the most difficult things you can do with someone. To say, did you look at your attitude? Do you see that? that that's really not what the Lord wants. And, and being able to, that's very, very hard. So if someone has done that in obedience to the Holy Spirit, they've come to you to speak the truth in love, do you know that the response that God is looking for is not an excuse or a justification for what you've done? 
So, well, no, I've got good reasons, and I'm sure you've got good reasons. Oh, no, no, you know, I had this, and you don't understand, and, and we're very, very good at justifying all our behavior, and we get really good at it as we grow up, and we believers longer, that not only do we get good at justifying sin, but then Christians, I found, get very good at justifying sin, and then baptizing all their excuses with scriptures. And using this little scripture over here and that little scripture over there, when all the while the law is revealing to us, hey, listen, there's something wrong in your life. When you open up God's word, there will be times where you just look and go, you know what, that's me. That's me, that's my life. That, that's me. And even though man likes to hide their sin or excuse it or explain it away and put labels on it, look at the end of verse 7 again. For I would have not known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. What, what Paul's saying is I found out how coveting I really was because the law told me. Because coveting was in the heart. I didn't even know how coveting I really was until the law, I opened it up and said, you shouldn't covet. And I looked at my life and I said, oh my, that's me. I covet. And so, of course, at this point, we might come to the conclusion, well, wow, there might be things going on in my life, Ed, but I don't covet. Not a problem with me. Well, listen to the definition of coveting. You ready? To wish for earnestly. What? Coveting is just a wish? I can't wish on a star anymore? I mean, come on. Coveting or to desire what belongs to another. I go, oh, coveting. To desire what belongs to another. To desire what belongs. It's not something that's readily seen by others, but it's something God reveals to us day after day. Covetousness is the enemy of contentment. Covetousness, do you know, you can covet all sorts of things. I mean, under that definition, shopping becomes coveting, huh? So you're walking through and go, I'd like that. I don't own it, but I want it. I like it. I like that car. I like that house. I want that job. Coveting. Discontent. Yeah, I've met people that are really upset because they covet what their coworker got. They just got a raise. They got a dollar raise. And it bent you out of shape. You're bent over backwards because your buddy next to you got a dollar raise. A dollar raise. I want that dollar. I need that dollar. How could they give me a... I, and you're coveting your coworkers raise a dollar, a dollar, it's a dollar. Ed, it's a dollar, it's $8 a day. It's what it is. But you're all bent out of shape because coveting has taken root in your heart. I want another job. I want another career. I want another position. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. There are many places in life where God will lead us to that desire, maybe move up in our job or take another position. That's not what I'm talking about here at all. I'm talking about being bent out of shape because your coworker got a dollar raise and you didn't get anything. A dollar. I mean, think about what a dollar can do. One dollar. Beat you up. You're not walking with the Lord. You're upset now. God's going to provide for your family. He's going to give you that dollar raise as, as you walk in his will. He's going to hook you up. He's going to take care of you. But now you're all mad at your coworkers. You're mad at your boss. You're mad at your company. You're mad at the world. You're mad at me. I didn't have anything to do with it. You were mad at me <laughs> for a dollar covetousness. You know, you don't just cover, covet things either. We can also covet, well, we can covet in the realm of relationships, single people. Coveting, oh, I wish I was married. And then you marry people, I wish I was single. Don't go there. That's not good. Just coveting. I, I wish I had that relationship. I, I wish I had that family. I wish I had this over here. And it's all coveting, isn't it? Some of you ladies, maybe even guys, you're going through those romance novels. Oh, I wish my life was like this. <laughs> Fabio. 
mean, I would be oh, so sad. I mean, Marie doesn't read these things, but think about Maria. Oh, Fabio, and she looks over at the chair, and there I am. I don't, I'm never going to be Fabio, man. It ain't going to happen. So, woo, it ain't going to happen. What are you clapping at? I'm bald. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But you get all in that coveting, you know? And you wouldn't even known it was coveting unless the Bible told you so. And then once you know, you're held accountable for it. Oh, it's heavy stuff, isn't it? You know what the antidote to covetousness is? Let me show it to you in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Here's the antidote to coveting. Look at verse 3, chapter 6 of 1 Timothy. And by the way, we've studied 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus as a church. And those of you that want to get involved in ministry here or leadership here, maybe you want to start a Bible study, you want to grow and you're looking for tips and you're looking for direction, grab those studies. We looked at, because Paul wrote these letters to Timothy and Titus to help them oversee the church to show them what a church looks like, what leadership looks like. And so if that's you and you'd be like, yeah, I want to grow in the area of leadership, I want to grow in the area of service, grab these studies because they're very, very powerful and very, very purifying. Look at verse 3. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, verse 4, he's proud, knowing nothing but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, and evil suspicions. Verse 5. Useless wranglings of men, corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Godly, that, that godliness is a means of gain, of getting more, and always wanting more. But from such, he says, withdraw yourself. And now here's the key, verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And it's not just contentment and say, oh, I'll be satisfied with what, what I have. But it's also adding godliness in your life. As you add godliness, contentment will grow. You want gain. You want growth. Then godliness comes first, then contentment. A life pleasing to God. Be content with what you have today. And all of a sudden you realize that you needed a lot of things that you, well, you already have them. They're already there. Some of you have to clean out your garage, don't you? You might say, hey, man, we want to get X, Y, and Z, and it's in your garage. So you don't need to buy another one. It's there somewhere. You already have it. You wanted it last year, and now you have it again. I mean, you think about all the things the Lord has blessed us with. It's an attitude of this. Father, whatever you send my way is fine with me because I trust you. Whatever you have for me, I trust you. You're going to take good care of me. I want you to see this. This is a promise you can build on. Go to Psalm 84, would you? Psalm 84. Oh, this is so good. You just enjoy the blessings and the provision of God. You enjoy his faithfulness in your life. You add godliness to contentment, and then covetousness just goes away. And you can grab it so quickly. Look at Psalm 84, verse 10. What a promise. Mark this, put a star next to it, circle it, memorize it, live by it. Listen, he says in verse 10, Psalm 84, for a day in your courts is a better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. Listen, I'll tell you what, that's easy to read, but many people don't believe it. Oh, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. No, so many people have these desires for other things just, just to, 
than just to sit with the believers and just open the doors and greet people and love people. And I mean, just to be in the presence of the Lord. I'd rather be a doorkeeper. That's all I'd want to be. But, but so many things grab our attention. I want to be a doorkeeper. I want to be this and I want to be that. But just listen, just be a doorkeeper. Be faithful where you're at. Just enjoy what the Lord's doing in your life. Don't dwell, he says, in the tents of wickedness. And then he says, verse 11, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. And listen, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Did you hear that? No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing will he withhold. And so as we're walking uprightly with the Lord, then he'll withhold nothing good from us. Hey, wait a minute, Pastor Ed. I, I mean, I, I want that red SUV. I mean, come on. I want it. And I can almost hear heaven say, if I gave it to them, it wouldn't be good. It would ruin them. For some of you, perhaps that dollar raise, I want that dollar raise. And I can hear heaven say, it would ruin you. It would puff you up in pride. It would make you think more highly of yourself. For this season right now, God's trying to teach you to wait on him. Those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Not those that are coveting and battling against the Lord's will in our lives. We need to be careful. The contented life says, Lord, Father, whatever you want for me, whatever you want for me, you want me to start over, I'll start over. You want me to start at the bottom, I'll start at the bottom. You want a pay cut? <laughs> whatever you have for me, Lord, in my life belongs to you and I'm willing to live for you. I understand, Father, that you withhold no good thing from me. That explains some of the answers of no in your prayer life, doesn't it? Why things aren't showing up when you think they're supposed to show up, because the Father knows at this time in your life, right now, this situation, the answer's no, and you can say with certainty and live with certainty that he's not withholding any good thing for you. He's not withholding any good thing, so if he's withheld something from you and from me, then it's not good right now. Powerful stuff. I'm going to trust in you, Father. As I walk and I trust, I'm going to continue to live my life for you. The law, it's powerful. Number one, the law defines for us what sin is. Number two, the law reveals that we are sinners. Number three, the law shows us how deceitful sin is. Back in Romans chapter 7, pick up with me in verse 8, would you? But sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire, for apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. Think about this for a second. The law, it stirs up sin. It stirs up sin in our lives. Yesterday, the men were out here. Many of you men were out here painting the curbs, and maybe you noticed that some of the curbs are red now and yellow, and the curbs... I wasn't here. I was at laser tagging with the little munchkins yesterday. It was great. I was number one. Man, these kids, you guys have great kids, but these kids, and by the time the last game, they were ganging up on me. And, and these kids were coming up and saying, hey, Pastor Ed. Well, actually, they said, hey, Wolf, because that was my name. Hey, Wolf, hey, they're coming out. The girls are planning this for you. The girls are planning that for you. And I go, bring it on. And so I got up in a corner because I didn't want to run around anymore. I just got up in a corner and picked all the kids off. Choo, 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 choo. 
And these kids come up, and they're coming up, and they're all ganging up on me. I'm going to shoot them. I'm going to shoot them. And then this little girl, I don't know who it was, this little girl, as I'm shooting her little thing, she says, some pastor you are. <laughs> and then she ran off, and I shot her as she left. Get out of here. So anyway, I wasn't here yesterday, but the men were, and they were painting the curbs yet there, and you'll notice some of the red curbs, they say, thou shalt not park here. That's what they say. Some of you had no idea you couldn't park there because they weren't painted before yesterday. You had no idea. But now that they're red, and now that they say thou shalt not park, some of you are like, hmm, I think I'm going to park there. I wonder what they'll do to me. We'll tow you. That's what we'll do. And then, you know, it's the same feeling when, the, when a sign goes up and it says what? Wet paint. And you just have to find out. Is it true? One of the brothers came up today as we were coming in to second services. Yeah, I was here yesterday, and I was one of those guys that touched the wet paint. So I said, give me your hand. <laughs> That's how we are, the same one that says, hey, don't walk fresh grass. You know, don't we just seeded it? And then your footprints are all the way through because you just had to find out. It's the same attitude as the law stirs up sin in us because we didn't even know these things were wrong until we, the law saw it. And if you're trying to live your life according to the law, the law is going to crush you because it's going to stir up all sorts of things in you. I was once alive, verse, verse 9, without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment, verse 10, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. Because anytime sin is railed up in our lives and we choose sin, death. Death, we've looked at that in depth. Verse 11, for sin, taking occasion. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it killed me. Because sin is so deceitful, it promises life but delivers death. You know, before the law, before anyone ever called me, before anyone ever shared the gospel with me, before anybody handed me a track, before anybody knocked on my door, before anybody opened the Bible to me, you know how I lived? It's probably the same way you lived. I was free from an accusing conscience. My conscience didn't accuse me because I didn't care. My conscience could care less about anything or anyone. And so I lived my life in deception. My conscience would never tell me, you hurt somebody. I didn't even pay attention to that. My conscience would say, that's wrong. You would never say that because I had nothing from God's word in my life. I didn't care. But once God revealed his word to me, and a friend came over and said, Ed, what you're doing, the Bible calls sin. And here's where it says right here, it's sin. And the only provision for sin is repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. All of a sudden now, I am accountable and sin isn't so deceptive anymore. I see it for what it is. You and I lived in a false sense of peace because we were truly ignorant of God's righteous requirements. But now that we know the truth, it provides for us the truth about myself. It provides for us the truth about God. It also provides us the truth about forgiveness and the way out of the burden of sin. You see, the law can only reveal. It doesn't regenerate. The law doesn't bring life. The law brings death. And as the law re reveals, it reveals, well, number four, the law points us to the Savior, Jesus Christ. The law is holy. The law is just. The law is good, verse 12. And the law points us to the Savior, Jesus Christ. Even the sacrifices of the Old Testament were mere shadows of the coming one, Jesus Christ, who would remove sin from us. 
taking it upon himself, our past sins, our present sins, our future sins. And so the law points us to a savior. You can jot it down in Galatians chapter three. Paul calls the law a tutor. As a matter of fact, let's turn there because we're gonna end there anyway. Look at Galatians chapter three. Oh, the law, the law is good. It's not a means of righteousness. The law doesn't save a person, but the law is good in pointing out, first of all, what sin is. Pointing out that we are sinners in need of a savior. It shows us how deceitful sin is, and finally it points us to the Savior. Look at Galatians. Let's look at chapter 3-ish. Look at verse uh, 15. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it's only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Jump down to verse 19. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions until the seed should come to whom the promise was made. It was appointed through angels, a hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given, which God could have given life, truly righteousness would have come by the law. But scripture is confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law kept for faith, which afterward would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor. Or next to the word tutor, you could also write schoolmaster. In the Greek and Roman homes, a child was, was given over to the full authority of a schoolmaster or a tutor, a teacher, until they grew up. The tutor was a slave employed by a Greek or Roman families whose duty was to supervise young boys on behalf of their parents. They took the young charges to and from school, made sure they studied their lessons, trained them in obedience. They were the strict disciplinarians, scolding and whipping when needed. The role of a tutor was never permanent, and it was a great day of deliverance when the boy finally gained their adult freedoms. And so there came that place in Jesus Christ where we're no longer in need of the tutor. We've grown up by faith. And by faith, the law, it schools us, it teaches us, it shows us our need, and now... The law says, go to the cross, because that's your solution. The law brought about in us death. I can't do what God asked me to do. I can't do it without a heart change. I can't live an obedient life without the power of God in me. I can't be pleasing to God without faith. The law tells me that do this and live, and I respond to the law. I can't do this. Therefore, I can't live. But in Jesus Christ, well, flip over to ch chapter 2 of Galatians. One page over. He says in verse 16 of chapter 2, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, we understand that, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. We all agree with that. That's absolutely true. But we, if, verse 17, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we also are found sinners. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. Let's read that together. You ready? Verse 19. Very loud. Verse 19. For I through the law that I might live to God. Did you hear that? Our lives are now lived to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. The life that you and I live now by faith, God used a holy, 
a just and a righteous law to lead us to the cross of Jesus Christ. It revealed to us what sin is. It reveals to us that we're sinners in need of a savior. It shows us how deceitful sin can be. And then it shows us that God has provided a way out, a savior, that by faith in him, your sins can be forgiven today. That no external code of conduct or rules and rituals are gonna do it for you. You need to surrender to Jesus today. You need to yield your life to him. You're listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, turn to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Or you can listen through our app, too. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of A Love Letter Life by Jeremy and Audrey Broloff. In it, they share insights from their own journey toward marriage and encourage the reader to stop settling for convenient relationships. They offer perspective on male and female differences in dating and take on topics like purity, give some rules for fighting well, as well as some advice on how to pursue a love story that won't end. That's A Love Letter Life. Yours today for a gift of $25 or more. Call 877-30-GRACE and we'll rush a copy your way. Your generosity helps us provide the teaching of God's Word on stations all across the nation. We're constantly hearing from listeners that have been helped and are growing by God's abounding grace. Thank you for standing with us to make that possible. Call 877-30-GRACE. Then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from Romans. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.